Welcome to Israel Briefing, the first of what I hope will be regular reports and a deeper understanding of Israeli politics, society and life. So many of us support Israel. We'll come out and hear speakers from and about the Jewish state, the startup nation. But how many of us know the ins and outs of Israeli life and politics? So many intricate and detailed stories from Israel that are barely covered by mainstream outlets. I think it's time that we got filled in. Israel Briefing. Johnny Gould's Jewish State Correspondent, James Marlowe. With the latest from the Knesset and beyond. Hello, good to talk to you. Welcome along. Now, James, after three elections and the real threat of a fourth one, we have finally arrived at another Netanyahu government on Israel's 72nd anniversary. Amazing. After 18 months without a government, and as you say, three elections, there was very, very good chance that there was going to be a fourth election. Uh, The main opposition party known as Blue and White, which was made up of three different political parties, where they've split down the middle. Uh, One side, led by Benny Gantz, has joined Netanyahu to form a government. Uh, The other side, which is led by Yair Lapid, is adamant he will lead the opposition in the Knesset over what he calls a corrupt government and a corrupt system. Now, how much of this has the coronavirus played a part in? Uh, in Gans' decision. So I would say a huge amount. Uh, but he's also seeing the polls. Benny Gans is looking at the current polls right now, and he sees that he's losing support, and Netanyahu's support is going up. So despite the fact that he says because of the coronavirus, because although Israel has had relatively a small amount of deaths compared to what's taken place in Europe and also in the United States, and nevertheless, Gan sees that this is his opportunity to get into the Knesset with his 15 seats plus two seats of a breakaway from part of the old blue and white, plus another two seats from the breakaway Labour Party, and therefore Labour Party doesn't exist as such anymore. He has 19 seats. He has demanded at least 16 ministries plus chairmanship of some of the inner Knesset committees. It's a huge amount for a party that doesn't have that many seats. And the big problem is, who gets which particular portfolio? Well, that is the jockeying for positions, isn't it, particularly in a coalition government. Just give us an idea of the controversy about the amount of ministries. uh, Big government in Israel. Initially, that this government will start off with 30 ministries, and then it will move to 36 ministries. But there's a great deal of the public that are really despondent over this. Uh, There's a lot of people that have lost their jobs in Israel. Uh, The workforce now, in terms of unemployment, is up to about 28, 29%. Uh, Some of these people are really, really struggling in terms of their bills, in terms of putting food on the table, literally. And they see that a government has pretty much doubled in terms of size and their ministries and with their cars and with their own specific people creating more jobs, more salaries, and some of the Israeli political uh, journalists, I've been looking at some of the tweets, some of them are quite funny. In fact, one political journalist asked the question, with all the different ministries being created, and there are brand new names being created, so one of them actually even tweeted out a, a picture of the John Cleese 
from Monty Python doing the funny walk and asked the question <laughs> as to whether there was going to be a ministry of the funny walk because they were making up some of these names in order to satisfy the will of many of these members of the Knesset uh, and the different political parties that were all demanding something. They all said, we have something to give. We want to contribute, but we're not just going to vote for you for the sake of voting for you. We want to actually have a specific position. And this was one of the big problems that Netanyahu had to deal with. Does he go to a fourth election and rely on the fact that he's looking good in the polls, 41, 42, 43 seats? Or does he try and avoid the billions and billions of shekels that that will cost the country again at a time when it's almost, almost on the brink of bankruptcy because of such high unemployment, does he try and do this deal, but at the same time upset a great deal of the people because he's offering so many ministries? The cost of the unity government, and I'm not belittling it, is 85 million shekels a year. This is so much less than the cost of extra elections. If we were to go to fourth elections now, that would have been the true waste of money. That would have been the outrageous abuse of money. So it's no wonder that the overwhelming majority in the public welcomes this unity government. The public wants a unity government, and this is what the public is receiving today. Extraordinary, and of course this is the most unusual of agreements, in that Israel's longest-serving Prime Minister will, in theory, step down in 18 months to make way for a new one, Benny Gantz. Blue and white has split. James, 18 months is a long time in politics. A week's a long time in politics. Will we ever see Bibi to Benny? Yeah. I mean, will we really ever see Prime Minister Gantz? It's really difficult to look past next week because so much is really taking place. Uh, We've had so many splits from some of the political parties. I mean, this was an election. I'm talking about the third election that we had. I think it was... uh, eight political parties that actually managed to get into the Knesset. That was the least amount of political parties that ever entered into the Knesset since the beginning of the state when the first elections took place in 1949. And since that time, I predicted there will be a couple of splits. But since that time, almost every single party has split with the exception of the Likud, and with the exception of the joint Arab list, which is made up of four political parties. I mean, that's that's an example. Look at the Likud to see how you can stay together. Look at the four Arab parties that disagree intensely on, on so many different economic and political positions. Uh, they are managing to stay ahead. But the original Labour merits Gesha. They all split. Gesha broke off with one seat. And the Labour Party, they broke off with three seats, but only two of them went into the government. Uh, Merits is sitting by themselves right now with three seats. Then, of course, you've got the right-wing party, Yamina, by Yehudi, the Jewish Home Party, has gone into the government, whereas Naftani Bennett is sitting on the outside. And uh, you also have some other question marks of the original blue and white, where two of those members from the Telim side of it, actually, who loathe Netanyahu, but they went off with Benny Gantz and agreed to go into the government in order to go ahead and just move this government process along. So who loses out? The Likud party loses out because they got more seats than any other political party, 36 seats in total at the third election. And yet many of their loyal 
ministers to Netanyahu are going to be without a portfolio. And this is what's up, upset them very, very much. It's almost impossible to predict what is going to take place in 18 months' time. If you like Johnny's regular podcasts, think about making a donation at either patreon.com slash Gould or click on the PayPal icon on the donations page at jewishstate.co.uk or buy him a coffee. He loves coffee at coffee.com slash Gould. That's ko-fi.com slash Gould. How extraordinary. And you mentioned the Likud party, which has really been the foremost power in Israeli politics since Menachem Begin lost eight successive elections as opposition leader, what seemed to be for forever from 1948 to 1978. And here we are with uh, Bibi Netanyahu as the longest serving ever prime minister. And now that famous mm. Labour Party in this third and possibly final election, probably, uh, of the trilogy is the extraordinary extinction story, the collapse of Labour, who ran Israel in its uh, first four decades. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yes. It was actually Menachem Begin leading the Likud party. He came to power in 1977. And uh, the Likud party was founded in the early 1970s by, of course, Menachem Begin. Ariel Sharon was involved. It was a um, joining of three or four different political parties. The main Liberal Party was the main party. Uh, They were the opposition party, and they finally got to power in 1977. And they pretty much had it throughout the 1980s, with the exception of two years uh, which is a coalition agreement between the Likud and Labour, led by Shimon Peres at that time. That was 1984 to 1986. Yitzhak Shamir was Prime Minister at that time until 92, when Yitzhak Rabin took over as the Labour Party again in 92. There was the famous Oslo Agreement in 1993. Uh, unfortunately, he was assassinated in 95. Shimon Peres took over in 95 to 96. And that was when we first saw Netanyahu come to power for the very first time until 1999. Echod Barak then became the leader of the Labour Party. He won the election in 1999 with the help of Bill Clinton, sent over all his personal political consultants and those who had won him the election because it was quite clear who he wanted to become the Prime Minister of Israel. However, this was when Ehud Barak went into direct talks with Yasser Arafat. It was the famous Camp David II talks, which is where Bill Clinton has said many, many times. He reached over the table and he said, Yasser, you will never, ever get a better deal than this. Please take it. He refused it. And of course, that's when the intensity of the Intifada had started. It had already been going beforehand. But I remember at that time, there was maybe two or three successful suicide bombings per week. Since that time, the Labour Party have never, ever been back in power. Labour have been in the wilderness, and now they've pretty much disappeared. So who's been the opposition since that time? Initially, there was a party called Kadima. That was Ariel Sharon's party. He broke away from the Likud because he was having a lot of opposition from some of his supporters and some of his members of Knesset, including Netanyahu at the time, over the what was known as the Hitznakut. That was the disengagement without any agreement whatsoever with the Palestinians from Gaza. Now, it wasn't really in Gaza itself. This is a, a misdemeanor as such. It was 21 
Jewish community blocks on the outskirts of the Gaza area, in other words, the buffer zone. They were the ones that were uh, evacuated and uh, 12, 13 years later, sadly, some of their residents still never had a permanent place to stay. But I think a lot of the people from that point never really trusted the Labour Party. Then, of course, we remember that uh, Sharon, Ariel Sharon, had this stroke and he had a second stroke. Ehud Olmert took over. Ehud Olmert got himself into trouble with regard to brown envelopes. And in fact, actually, it was my neighbour in Jerusalem. Um, <laughs> yes, it was my neighbour who was actually who testified to say I was the one. Moshe Talansky was his name, um, originally from America, a religious man. And he was passing on brown envelopes loaded with cash directly to Ehud Olmert. And he was asked, why, why did you do that? Obviously, you wanted some type of a deal. You wanted a business arrangement with the government. He said, no, I just saw Ehud Olmert as the leading star within the Likud party. I saw him rising up. He was mayor at the time of Jerusalem. I could see that he could future in the future lead the country. And therefore, I wanted to support his campaign and gave him lots and lots and lots of cash. Yeah, right. He ended up in jail, as you know. <laughs> not Moshe Talansky, although he that's was not very, very That's not very compelling. I think if I was his defence lawyer, I'd say, can you think of something else, mate? I yes. gave him brown envelopes because I really thought he was the future of Israeli politics. <laughs> you know, at the time, because I, I spoke with him a few times at the time, and he was in a real wreck. Obviously, in hindsight, it doesn't make a lot of sense if you wanted to contribute to somebody's campaign. Why just do it in brown envelopes with loads of cash? You maybe just be better off doing a bank transfer so everyone can see it. Yes. Um, then after he went to jail, um, there was a lady called Sippy Livney who took over. But however, she had already made enemies within the Knesset, and she had vowed that she wasn't going to work with the religious parties, specifically Shas and the United Torah Judaism Party. And because of that, in the election of 2009, she could not, even though the Kadima Party actually had one more seat more than the Likud Party, led by Benjamin Netanyahu, she couldn't put together the coalition, and Netanyahu did. And of course, the rest is history, because ever since 2009, he's been prime minister ever since then. Now, there's a great deal of people that loathe Netanyahu. They can't stand him because Netanyahu has been leader of the country for the longest period of economic and political stability ever in the history of the modern state of Israel. And even though prices are high, even though there's still a great deal of bureaucracy, even though some new olim, those Jewish people who choose to make emigration and set up a brand new life and learn a new trade, a new profession, a new language, and all the types of bureaucracy that they have to deal with, even though they still feel that Israel was at a fairly good spot in terms of its uh, its commanding force in the world, if you like. In other words, it's a leader today in the decentralization of water, in farming, in agriculture, of course, in tech, in robots, in bots. Almost every single phone and computer and device has some type of hardware or software or a small device or something inside that was made or manufactured or produced inside of Israel. This is unbelievable for such a small country at 72 years old. And at the same time, also Netanyahu has reached out to so many countries that had no relations whatsoever 
with Israel. For example, many of the African countries, many of the countries in South America, in Asia, these are all the countries that consistently voted against Israel in the United Nations. And that's why Israel was always losing their battles. They only had three or four countries that would continuously back them against the rest of the world. It was an impossibility. And one of the reasons is, is because it was the Arab boycott against Israel. So the Arabs had said to them, look, you have to always vote with us in the United Nations, the countries in Asia, in Africa, in South America, because if not, we will not deal with you in business, in trade, in imports and exports. So obviously it was, they always had to vote with the Islamic states. And there are 58 of them. It was always one block of votes. So people have seen this great deal of economic stability. But then there's the other side that says, we want him out. And if you can't get him out by the ballot boxes in any which way that, that, you, that you can. So the police, and I'm not suggesting that they have done this on purpose, but the police have obviously looked into these files for the last couple of years. So they've got three indictments against him. One of them is on corruption. One of them is on uh, fraud and bribery. Uh, they don't relate to cash in brown envelopes being slipped into his back pockets but they do relate to perhaps receiving goods from wealthy businessmen like loads of bottles of champagne and cigars and also trying to do a deal with one of the main business people in israel who owns a newspaper for Netanyahu to get more positive coverage. So the, these are certainly this is something which is uh, the, the court has to decide and he will be in a court of law later this month. But here's the thing. This court case could go on for several years. And therefore, for those saying, well, Netanyahu, you go away, you deal with your court case. And if you if they find you not guilty, well, then you can come back. But that's not fair. Because A, the people voted for him in the last election, and B, who knows where we'll all be in three, four, five years' time when the trial might be over and he might be found not guilty. You can't suddenly come back to politics after that. Well, exactly. And I mean, since uh, we've had those three elections, of course, we've had a coronavirus lockdown, which has knocked the block off most Western nations, even with the most aggressive and tiger economic positions like like Israel and sending them into near bankruptcy. And now we have 36 ministries as opposed to 30. The Ministry of Silly Walks is on its way. And at the expense, <laughs> though, of uh, ambassadors around the world, the United Nations and U.S. ambassador roles have always been distinct, one in New York and one in Washington, but this is probably one of the biggest changes. Uh, James, explain that. Is there a possibility that those two missions might be merged? Yes, they are. And the lucky man, and uh, I was somebody who said that this would be the ideal job for Gilad Eldan. Uh, he is a well-known close person to Benjamin Netanyahu. He's been a confidant of him. He has the ear of the prime minister. Uh, he has uh, had a successful battle against the BDS campaign uh, for the last few years. Uh, his English is, is pretty good. Got a bit of an accent, but he's pretty good. But he will be the ambassador to the United States. Plus, he will be the ambassador to the United Nations. It's very, very unusual. But it has happened once before. Back in the late 50s, early 60s, um, you had the very famous, the amazing orator, Abba Eben. He was also the ambassador to the United States and the ambassador to the United Nations. Thousands of years ago, a people, a land and a language came together in Israel's birth 
and the course of man's life and thought was lifted to a new point of elevation. Then for centuries this pattern was split asunder. The people, the land and the language were separated and tragedy and danger befell them all. Separated each from the other, none of these three achieved the creative potency which they each knew when they lived together. What is modern Israel except the reunion of this people, land and language in a sublime fulfillment of history's cycle? A bridge thrown across the gulf of continents and generations to symbolize the unity of all historic experience. And those people who say it's not a big issue are, are the ones who recognize that there is a great deal of coordination between being ambassador to the U.S. and being ambassador to the U.N. Um, so those two roles uh, do play with each other as such. Uh, one thing that has been suggested is that Gilad Eldar would have to have two very good deputies um, to go ahead and run things while he's not in one office or the other office. Uh, but I can see this happening. Um, and one of the reasons that this is taking place is because that Ron Dermer, who is the amazing ambassador to Washington, I say amazing because Ron Dermer was somebody who was very, very close with Netanyahu, and Netanyahu trusts Ron Dermer doesn't trust too many people, but trust Ron Dermer. Ron Dermer has the ear of the Prime Minister, and uh, not many people do that these days. And yet I believe that it's Ron Dermer alone who has managed to spend so much time over the last few years with the top people in the American administrations, firstly the Barack Obama administration, and now the Donald Trump administration, convincing them exactly what is taking place on the ground in Israel and what the PLO, the Palestinian Authority leaders have said, uh, their rhetoric, uh, some of the uh, uh, the delegitimization of Israel, in fact the demonization of Israel in many cases in some of their interviews and how they just refuse continuously to come even to the to the negotiating table, to the peace table. Now the Americans have transferred their embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Under this vision, Jerusalem will remain Israel's undivided, very important, undivided capital. But that's no big deal, because I've already done that for you, right? They've recognized Israel's annexation of the Golan Heights, and they've come up with a brand new peace plan on the one hand accepts that there will be a Palestinian state, but on the other hand accepts that the major Jewish settlement blocks like Gush Katif, like Ma'alei Adumim, that they will never ever be evacuated. And if the Palestinian Authority, PLO, insists that not one is, not even one Jew, one Israeli, that means that even if an Israeli Arab has Israeli citizenship, that they cannot live in the Palestinian Authority areas or in a future Palestinian state. And if that's the case, that the American administration finally, officially, and out loud recognizes that Israel cannot do anything else but accept, keep those settlement blocks and apply Israeli sovereignty over those settlement blocks. And that um, has a great deal to deal with Ron Dermer. 
James, Mike Pompeo, the U.S. Secretary of State, has been flying in and out. Shuttle diplomacy, despite corona, banging heads together to try and sort out the deal of the century. Do you know roughly what he was talking about with, with the leaders of Israel? There's a great deal of speculation. A, a, a lot of people feel that the uh, some of the talk was centered around the annexation of the main Jewish settlement blocks. Others say that perhaps Mike Pompeo didn't really talk too much about that. And it seems to be that the American administration plan on this is that the Israelis are a sovereign nation. They can do what they wish, providing it's within the parameters of the overall Trump plan. I just want to say two things. First, that the deal of the century is the opportunity of a century, and we're not going to pass it by. Uh, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. Today, I repeat, I just want to say thank you for everything you've done for the state of Israel. You've been the greatest friend that Israel has had in the White House. And I think tomorrow we can continue making history. Thank you, Good. Mr. President. I look forward to it. Thank you very much. Mr. President, did you speak to the Palestinians about your plan, to the Palestinian president? Because that report... We will be... Now, what's interesting is that the religious Zionists are actually very, very apprehensive about annexation of the main Jewish settlement blocks. And the reason is, is because that if Netanyahu does this, that means that there's going to have to be a Palestinian state, albeit that the Palestinians don't accept it and they won't set one up. But they are very concerned about that and they're actually urging Netanyahu not to go ahead and annex Jewish settlement blocks. Uh, another point of which was perhaps being discussed is Iran because Iran is said to be fortifying its bases in eastern Syria. And this is a great concern to the American administration and also to the Israelis. Um, it wasn't so long ago that we were hearing that the Iranians were pulling out of Syria. But I knew that wasn't true. That wasn't happening. They simply weren't going on the offensive. They were going to play more of a defensive and they stopped some of their funding to Hezbollah. But nevertheless, Iran is still sitting very comfortably, fortifying its bases inside of Syria, and this is a great concern. The third and final point, um, which Mike Pompeo was discussing, is he is warning the Israelis of the Chinese. The Chinese are too involved in too many infrastructure and communication projects in Israel. The Chinese own a number of the shipping ports along the coast, and this is a great concern to the Americans who feel that the Chinese are edging their way inside of communication projects, and they're telling the Israelis, you're going to have to find a way to back off from doing this close amount of business with the Chinese. Never miss another Johnny Gould's Jewish State. And be first to hear the next show by subscribing now. Follow Johnny Gould on Twitter and Johnny Gould Show on Facebook. And if you liked what you heard today, leave a rating or review. That really helps bring more listeners to the show.